Hey, hello. And they see me rolling, and they Hayden. I was that a Hayden Christensen joke? I um. No, that was no, just a just, reference just keep to, going. to 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 Shemillionaire. Three of us okay. happen to be. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Okay, I was going further back. <laughs> this this opening is already a catastrophic mess. Um, <laughs> hello everyone, and welcome back to Cookie Pocket. Um, this is episode, I think. 65. Oh, I've, 64, I've, 65, it's one of those. Um, but today was my pick, so we are talking about Leaving Las Vegas, uh, directed by Mike Figgis, uh, the film that renownedly uh, won Nicolas Cage the Academy Award for Best Actor, but also had a, a lot of other nominations as well. It was also additionally nominated for Best Director, uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Actress as well for uh, Elizabeth Shue. Uh, essentially, it tells the story of an alcoholic screenwriter, played by Nicolas Cage, who his career is in shambles, he's basically wrecked every relationship he had, and he decides he's going to drive out to Vegas and drink himself to death. Uh, and the story is essentially just about him in Vegas and this uh, prostitute that he meets, played by Elizabeth Shue, and their evolving, strange relationship. Um, so it's very much a character drama. Uh, and it seems to have divided the the podcast somewhat, so uh, I, I want to toss it over somewhat. to you guys first. Um, what did you think of leaving Las Vegas? I guess Christian, we may as well rip the band-aid Christian off. Okay, the here band goes the band-aid. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'll start by saying I was very optimistic. I was looking forward to this, mm -hmm, yeah. um, very much so. I thought I would like it. I really liked the first 15 minutes. I think that's sort of like a neat little uh, short film unto itself mm -hmm. um, before he leaves for las vegas <laughs> but um i just i kept asking myself what was the point um i i ended up landing on a 1.5 for this not happily i very nearly gave it a two i i could have given it a two and i kind of wanted to 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 soften the blow but um i didn't <laughs> um and i think nicholas cage is is just fine but i just i don't understand why uh, what's done here is particularly impressive or noteworthy or, or critically anything. I don't know. It, it feels like an endlessly predictable slog. I mean, we it's pretty clear what's going to happen. He's, he's going to drink himself to death, and spoiler alert, he does. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the movie. And the relationship, in my opinion, is has no real basis in reality it's not really developed they just kind of run into each other and and i guess she likes him because he views her as a person rather than a prostitute first which is fine i suppose that makes sense but i think that's a thin premise for an entire movie and a lot of what happens is either predictable or feels cheap to me like uh the pretty brutal rape scene towards the end mm -hmm. feels like a, a pretty tacky plot device and i i just i just couldn't glom on to, to much much of this um i was quite optimistic but and also it made me get tired of sting which is terrible i love sting that was so sad do people not dislike sting i kind of thought the impression was that everybody was sort of sick of sting and so i was worried about the musical numbers because of what well, numbers the music because <sighs> well, of that Everyone is wrong. It's just, it's like okay. The Graduate when they play Scarborough Fair like 25 times. Uh -huh. Like, great song. Play it once. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, 1.5. I can see why other people would be drawn to this, but I wasn't drawn to the directing or the writing or, I don't know. I 1.5 for the performers, I guess. Yeah, you don't know, Christian. You don't know. You don't know nothing. Get out of here. I respect Christian's opinion. Um, I really enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I would. Oh, so good. I'm on the other end of the spectrum. Um, I was I was really drawn by Nicolas Cage's performance, and I was honestly expecting him to not be so, I guess, illustrious with the way that he acts as an alcoholic. And I could definitely tell like he had different levels of alcohol in him at different moments, and mm -hmm. he, he didn't just feel like like he's drunk and that's it or he like he's just angry and he gets mad like he has he's not a one note kind of alcoholic he has like multiple layers to him and um elizabeth shoe's character definitely adds on to that and i think i mean you just know that it's really toxic from the get-go 
and I can totally see what Christian's saying by how it's predictable, but I think anybody, any normal person could predict that this was going to go bad. It was just the mm-hmm. matter the manner in which it actually did. And I feel like the way the way that they interact and kind of the the, the stylistic points that, that emphasized their moments together really made it feel like that they could actually have something. And even though we know for sure that they definitely are just, you know, playing off of each other's toxic traits and playing off of each other's like worst possible like personalities, I guess, when and, and, and seeing the worst in each other um, or, or bringing out the worst in each other, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and her just being like, I don't know, I kind of just am attracted to him and I don't know, he's just something about him. And we never actually get to hear like what she really likes him for. And I think that's amazing. Like, I think that's awesome writing to me. And, and one of the first things she ever says during one of the interviews in the beginning was she walks in a room and does whatever she wants for whatever man she's with. And that's exactly what she does with him the entire movie. And I thought that was so well done. And I feel like it doesn't get enough credit for that. And I also think that the it, it never feels like the movie's trying to convince you that the relationship's going anywhere. Mm-hmm. It just it just makes you feel awful that it's going downhill. And yeah. I think that that is kind of the essence of it. And I, I really enjoy that a lot. And I wouldn't say, like, Elizabeth Shue's, like, background. I understand why they need it, and I understand why they need to have her have a backstory and kind of have a reason why she acts the way that she does. And I really don't think it's that original, and I, I, I don't think them meeting or anything is very original either. But I do think that the dialogue that they have is, is very, you know, it's not very pronounced. It's very simplistic and a lot of the time it feels pretty realistic it does it kind of they're kind of just like you want to go do this and they're like okay and it's just it's, she's she's literally just taking care of him the whole time mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of just like like you're, you're kind of expecting your, your your intuition is telling you that you're, you're gonna see something like them have an actual in-depth conversation actually develop like a relationship that's positive and every time every single scene is such a letdown and I feel like that intentional letdown every time is really consistent, and I really got hooked on it all the way towards the end. So I give it a 4 out of 5. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I also gave it a 4 out of 5. Um, although I definitely see what Christian is saying, and I don't like disagree with those reasonings. In fact, when I gave it a rewatch, I, I thought, hmm, let's, let's see how this goes down, because there were yeah. definite lights that went off in my head that were like, I think one or both of the boys are not going to like this. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I do agree with you, Mitchell, that one of the reasons I do like it is that it, it resists being some kind of a positive spin on, like, addiction or dependence. Like, this isn't, yeah. like, a Lifetime movie where it's like, he was an alcoholic, and then he met a beautiful woman, and he was healed. No, he's an alcoholic, and he wants to drink himself to death and he does drink himself to death and in a lot of ways he kind of takes her down with him in a lot of scenes and segments um i mean it's 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 not a film that makes nicholas cage's character out to be like cool or suave i mean he's he's an embarrassment he's he's kind of pathetic and embarrassing and awkward and just sort of causes social destruction everywhere he goes and there's the sense that nobody really wants to be around him. Um, and he and Shu's relationship, uh, Ben and Sarah's relationship, I, I definitely do think there's the impression that both of them know it's not really going to go anywhere, but they're two people who are kind of lost, who just happen to have sort of met each other, like at this intersection, and they're going to see what happens for now. But I, I don't really think that it functions as like a, a traditional romance in any way where it's like... You want to see these two end up together. I think you more are there to be put through what they inflict upon each other, or more yeah. specifically, what Ben inflicts upon Sarah, really, um, at, throughout their knowing each other. Um, so it's a four out of five for me as well. But I, I do think really the whole point of the movie is that misery. Um, and I think it becomes. Uh, I think at least it becomes easier to appreciate when you realize that the the book that this was based on is basically an autobiography of the guy who wrote it, um, John O'Brien, who did commit suicide, like, after the book was bought to be adapted into a film. 
Um, and so I think that basis in the reality of his own life and the things that he did to the people around him and he did to himself kind of brings a, a deeper sense of emotion out of it than maybe is there even just on the script and on the page. Um, but yeah, four out of five for me as well. I do want to move on to uh, Nicolas Cage's performance. Now, like I mentioned, this is the performance of the film that won the Oscar. Um, but I, I just want to kind of dissect that a little further. What, what do we think of his performance? Do we think it is an Oscar-worthy performance? Or in your case, Christian, maybe if you found it a little <laughs> underwhelming, what did you find underwhelming about it? Oh, dear. I hate having to go first because I'm the odd one. Um, well, I don't think it was bad, just to be clear. Okay. Um, do I think... I think oftentimes the, the best... Any sort of uh, best performer award, supporting lead, whichever gender or what have you, um, from the Oscar, Oscars, I think sometimes that tends to be... Well, for one thing, I think it's hard to judge between performances, especially when one person is playing the Joker and another person is playing the Pope, which is literally <laughs> been the case in yes. the year before. I mean, how do you compare those two at all? You can't really. Um, as far as his assignment goes as a character, as an actor, I think he does just fine. I don't know that it's spectacular or like historically noteworthy. I, I, I think most of it is kind of a, a drunk version of Nicolas Cage. And whether you find that impressive or not is sort of a subjective thing, I think. But I think it is probably easier to just play drunk than it is to play a more complicated character. And I think his assignment in this film is to play someone that has abandoned whatever complicated facets of his character when he goes to Las Vegas, because all that matters at that point is drinking himself to death mm -hmm. until I guess he meets, um, Sarah but even then you know that's tenuous at best so I, I guess I would say good not great that was probably uh the best aspect of the film but I don't know that it's like brilliant uh I, I can see why he was nominated but mm -hmm. in terms of what impresses me uh it was it was fine yeah I guess. C can I parry with asking isn't every performance by an actor sort of a version of themselves Yes, and and uh, I'm glad you said that because, I mean, as a sort of casual hobby filmmaker myself, I totally <laughs> casual hobby the filmmaker idea. Christian Bale. No, I don't want to be like as a, as a fellow artist because I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not that. Um, we all read your letterbox bio. <laughs> but I do totally understand the idea of casting someone to play themselves, and the more the more stuff I watch, the more I totally buy into that practice so i don't want to to, to denigrate that um, at all but um I, I you know i i think i think it's impossible to compare performances but i think the if you were to do that the way that would make the most sense is to compare them in terms of how demanding they are and complicated they are and i feel like this is relatively uncomplicated but i think he does just fine with it i, I don't i don't want to say he's bad he's certainly not bad mm -hmm. okay Mitchell. Okay. 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 <laughs> I'm going to use the big D word. Oh no. Disagree. Oh, okay. Ooh, <laughs> of course. Ooh. Yes. That, that no was more sort of agrees. Get out of here. Sort of agrees. Disagrees. Coming. Drinking okay. himself to death. Um, I'm going to say that I don't think simplicity is, uh, uh, what am I thinking? I already messed up. Um, is concurrent with, with being drunk necessarily. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't think alcohol. I think alcoholism is is to be to be portrayed um, on the big screen is like. I feel like that's a different role. I feel like I don't feel like you're necessarily playing a different person, but I feel like there are certain er there are certain character traits that are being demanded of you, and I feel like the the complication in his character comes in where you're trying to demand for the humanity out of him, and you're trying to see what person he is when he's not drunk. And I feel like that is effective. I feel like I'm wondering how Nicolas Cage, but he's like, hey, what's up? How's it going here or something? But like, I'm, I'm, I'm heavily curious as to why he, why he, well, not why, but how he got himself into where he was, like what caused him to be not the person that he is through alcohol. And I think that the complication that can arise from, 
from a substance is very apparent here. And mm-hmm. like I was saying before in my intro, I think he really, I mean, every single scene, I feel like he's trying to control something that he has no control over, really what it feels like. I feel like something, something is, he, he has consumed something that's causing him to be someone that he's not. And you really want to see what he really is like. And I feel like that is difficult to portray. I don't feel like that's like any simple feat. And I wouldn't say it's like the hardest thing in the world. And no, I don't think it's like super excellent Oscar worthy performance or anything, but, and no, I also don't think the role is necessarily like extraordinarily like demanding or anything, Mm -hmm. but I do think there is certain things that you need to ask for out of someone that's trying to portray an alcoholic that's progressively getting worse and progressively showing um, personality traits they might not show um, at all or not as extensively as a regular person that's sober. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think it was Roger Ebert when this came out who, who said something along the lines of, I, I don't know if he really loved the movie overall, but he mentioned something like... Um, the two most overplayed roles in theater and cinema are probably the drunk and the hooker with the heart of gold. Um, and this movie takes on both of those. And I think at least that it brings something else to them where you are interested to see them throughout the entire movie. Perhaps, perhaps you aren't Christian, but I do think <laughs> that if we, if we I think want of, to understand, I really do. I, I swear. I, but I think there's a lot more character in Ben's drunk than there is in say, you know, okay. I, I'm not taking pot shots at breakfast <laughs> at Tiffany's. Audrey Hepburn plays great drunk, but she plays great comedy drunk. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, you couldn't see that throughout an entire movie, for instance. Okay, sure. Um, he isn't just the clown. I'll, yes. I'll certainly admit there, that. There's, yeah. a, there's level, like Mitchell mentioned, there's like levels of drunk to this that bring out their own version of the character. And I also do like, Mitchell, how you mentioned that there's there's like a hint that maybe he started drinking because his wife left him, but then at the same time he says, did she leave me because I drank? Right. And there's like, that becomes ambiguous. I like that it's just kind of a window of time. Um, and I, I will agree, Christian, though, that I don't necessarily know, or I'll, I'll sort of agree, sort of agree, um, that, um, <laughs> I, I don't, it. I don't know if this is Nicolas Cage's best performance, but I think that I totally understand why this won the Academy Award, because mm-hmm. I, I think something that you see from Nicolas Cage in basically every role is he's willing to put, like, everything on the line, um, for very small or potentially undemanding parts, uh, he'll put a lot of research into it and he'll make big choices. And, and perhaps people don't necessarily like those choices, but they are dynamic and there clearly are decisions that he's made regarding the character. Um, I mean, he, he went like binge drinking for two weeks in, I think, like holland or something and had a friend film him when he was blackout drunk so he could remember what he sounded like when he spoke um and and he he studied all kinds of different i think one that he mentioned was like albert finney in under the volcano to sort of craft this character of what he would be as a drunk um and i don't think i mean i mentioned this earlier but he's not like he's not playing comedy drunk or suave drunk or i'm drunk but boohoo aren't I still a handsome actor? Like he, he's playing drunk to a really unattractive, like kind of gross degree in this movie. And I, I think, you know, a lot of the time the awards nowadays go to the performance of the prettiest person who's able, who's willing to compromise their prettiness the most in a performance. Um, but I think Mm. for 94 or 95, I forget when this came out for like mid nineties, I think that's kind of a, kind of a relatively new thing for this film and so I, I see why it did win that oscar um something else that i want to talk about I, I i swear i'm not picking on you christian but i think you raised a lot of interesting points on the film so i might use your review kind uh, of as talking no, points it's okay it, it um, makes it makes it better when you pick on me so go for it <laughs> I, I i i want to talk about mike figus's directorial style and kind of the style of the movie overall um this was filmed on a pretty low budget uh, they couldn't afford 35 millimeters, so they had to shoot in 16 millimeter, which is a much grainier, less color dynamic form of film. They couldn't afford to shut down the Vegas Strip, so most shots had to be gotten in one take for fear of getting caught by the police. Um, the score was entirely composed by Mike Figgis himself because of budget <laughs> limitations again. 
Um, a lot of shots are kind of reused and mixed around. There's a lot of editorial mixing and mashing. So the question I think comes down to, do you think that's a style that works for what the film is going for? Or do you think it just kind of comes out as a bit of a mess? Well, I'll save Christian. I'll save Christian. I'll <laughs> yeah, save me. Right. Save me. Save me. Um, there, there is a moment kind of towards the beginning where I thought it might turn out to be too overbearing. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like the the main reason why it isn't is because of the the, the dynamics of the, the tone and how, how like, in a lot of ways, like, how alcoholism affects a lot of people. It's kind of just, there's, like, a steady on moment, and then all of a sudden there's just bouts of just random, like, mm-hmm. anger or sadness. And just sudden, like, you know, one of the most obvious scenes for me was when they're at the pool and they're they're getting it on at, at the pool and then yes. he just falls on the table whoops and, yeah, yeah and and you i feel oh, like geez. the i feel like the if anything i feel like the score matches well with um with cage's kind of personality and the way that he's thinking about everything and kind of just how he's going through life and and it's not you know it's not like everything's all great and jazzy like ooh like you know i'm i'm having a good time kind of jazz it's like a little bit anonymous mixed with like you know the, just intrigue and and at the same time disappointment and i feel like like really the saxophone riffs and the piano i think are t- the two most noticeable things for me and i really think it works for a majority of the film and it really it, and and also in addition to the dialogue um, and then it also makes you appreciate the moments that it's not there so ultimately i think the score worked out great i don't know if you want me to talk about the other parts no i mean whatever like naturally occurs to you is something you wanted to bring up i was kind of just giving examples oh well i I think it matches well with the style and i i like the like the the super cliche vegas like shaky cam looking at the 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 neon logos and stuff that that makes me laugh like guys we're in vegas and it doesn't like i said at first same thing with the score it feels like it might be overbearing but i never feel like I feel like we're in Vegas. I feel like anything can happen. It's not like Hangover where terrible things are just happening all the time and, and what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I, I feel that, you know, it feels... Oddly, it feels very small-scale and focused. And I feel like having it as a backdrop and, and having their characters develop in front of the backdrop really really helps us focus on them and, and, and get less of a sense like it's the world that's contributing to their downfall. It's more like they're they're just tumbling together down this hill to and the, to his demise and to her emotional demise and it also happens that to be in vegas when it happens which is adds to the irony so mm-hmm. okay i want to talk later about whether these characters are really dynamic or not because i'm okay. not convinced that either of them change very much okay but um in terms of the score, I've been I've been mincing words. I I, I hated the score. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was terrible. Okay. Um, I, I will say this is definitely. I could definitely tell that this was written, directed, and scored by the same person. I could definitely tell that. Okay. And that's not always a bad thing. Uh, Zach, you may remember our uh, high school theater teacher telling us that you would learn more about your play that you had written if you got somebody else to direct it. Yes. Yeah. Um. I think that's perhaps true here. I, I, I just, uh, more than anything, I really hate the score. I mm-hmm. think it it does all it like breaks the illusion for me. It's it's very repetitive. It, it's it's not very complicated or musically engaging. Mm-hmm. And I didn't much like the soundtrack either. Even though I love Sting, it's just the same two songs over and over. And I I don't know. I I don't I didn't find it emotive or really purposeful. Um, and the direction. I said it was shot like a bad music video in my review. <laughs> so I guess you could say I didn't like that either. <laughs> yes. But I, I think that's much more of a subjective complaint. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think I can see why people would be drawn to it. And some of my favorite films are written and directed by the same person. But, you know, it has its, it has its pluses and minuses. And here it did not quite work for me. Yeah. I, again, parrying. I, I think that... Um... The writer-director point is a little different here because he didn't write the story. He, he just adapted right. it to his he script. he adapted it. Sure. Um, but I, I do still see your point. I, I think I'm just in a different kettle of fish here um, mm-hmm. because I about three-quarters of the way through, I did have a moment with one of the Torch songs that, that Sting sings throughout the film 
I was like, have we heard this one before? I don't care. We have. Um, and, and we had. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think, I think in a lot of ways, this, the whole style of this film, the whole style of the direction, sort of is designed to kind of be from Ben's perspective in a way. Right. Yeah. Uh, it does feel like those, those blurry looking up shots of Vegas signs very much feel like he's staggering drunkenly across, across the street, just looking up at whatever. There's lots of montages where you see like little snippets of he woke up, he went to the bathroom, he went back to bed, he was on the street, he was back in his room, which, which feel like little bits of like, he's coming in and out of blacking out. Um, and even the soundtrack I feel fits into that a little bit because I think there's kind of a dedication in this film to, at least on the side, to kind of making Vegas look like a miserable, miserable place that just sort of mm -hmm. has a sheen of glitz and glamour, but is really kind of cheap and painful, and, and, and there's nothing really Just there. like the relationship. <laughs> there's nothing really there oh. under the color. Um, yeah. And I think the repetitiveness of the songs adds to that because it has that mm -hmm. mood of like, I'm walking down the street. It's the third night. I feel like I've heard this song like five <laughs> times already as I walked yeah. past this past this club. But whatever, I can't remember anyway. And and for me at least, that kind of that kind of adds to it. Now that's not to say that I don't think the songs are effective, because I I personally think they are. But by the time mm -hmm. the credits come up, I really think that in a lot of ways they're sort of recontextualized. I don't know the name of that song that they use over the credits, um, but I feel like they're sort of I don't want to Angel sing Eyes, the opening. Perhaps? Yes. Or was it my one and only love? Probably one of those two. I, I think both of those. They 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 okay. add a real. I think they add an additional context to it, which by the end credits, there is sort of a pang that comes with them for me, where I'm sort of like, oh, this means something different now compared to what it did at the beginning of the film. And for me at least, that's that's effective. Although yeah. I can understand if we aren't resonating on those levels, <laughs> then that effectiveness just doesn't carry over at all. Um, I kind of, I mean, we've kind of addressed most everything that I wanted to talk about, but since we'd be going into final thoughts, I want to give you the floor here, Christian, to discuss your issues with the characters. Yeah, I don't think they change. I think, I don't think they change. I think that Sarah sort of falls for him in a way that's debatably convincing or not, and is sad when he doesn't really care about her the same way. And I still think he doesn't care about her that much at any point, even though he says he loves her. I mean, his actions speak louder. And maybe, I guess the tragedy is that the alcoholism is what's preventing him from, from being a real person. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's that's the feeling that we get at any point. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I think about, like, the bare bones of what makes, like, a good story, not even a good movie. Like, there has to be conflict. You kind of tend to want your protagonist to change at some point somehow i mean but the barest thing is conflict and i don't i mean there's i guess the conflict here would be the relationship conflicting with his alcoholism mm -hmm. but it's it's just so self-evident what's going to happen that i just i didn't feel it at all and you guys have given a lot of examples about how this film sort of refutes trends and traditional things in other movies like Cage's drunkenness is not funny or cute. Mm -hmm. It's just pathetic and bad. And I I have to question whether there's a reason that this hasn't been done. And I, I think it's a great challenge for any film to, to come up with original ways to tell anything. Or originality in general is, is a very hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I will certainly credit this story, this original story, and this adaptation for being original in their own way. That's worth noting. But I don't know that it's worth sitting through. It's, 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 and if it were to make me feel miserable, then that would be great. Because <laughs> then I would feel something. But at the end, I felt nothing because I knew it was going to happen and mm -hmm. I didn't care about either of them. So I, I think there's... Uh, some people might be drawn to like the movie where these two people are really sad and they're going to die and their life sucks and there's nudity and alcoholism everywhere. And it's just, all of this is just bad and <laughs> it good, but I don't, I don't understand why this is worth telling. 
I've I've certainly liked miserable movies before. Mm-hmm. I've gotten a lot out of being sad or scared or disgusted by a movie. Mm-hmm. But this just left me empty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Um so I, I am interested who do you consider the protagonist of this story? I've seen uh reviews touting uh Sarah as a protagonist mm-hmm. and I could see that. Um but at the same time, I feel like she totally lacks agency okay. uh, the entire time. So I would probably still say, what is Cage's character's name? Gosh, uh, ben. Ben, right. Yeah. I would still say him because it feels like, it feels more to me like she's waiting around for him most of the movie. Okay. Um, literally or figuratively. I, I could see either side of the coin. But like I said before, I think this refutes traditional protagonist roles i don't think either of them are very dynamic and i think the conflict is kind of debatable so okay because i i the way i would lens this at least would be (laughs) using the 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 screenwriting definition of a protagonist where a protagonist is the one trying to do something in a script and the antagonist is the one stopping them from doing that and i think if we call the conflict of the film that sarah believes in some way even though she denies that she does at the beginning that she can change or help or heal ben somehow and ben is just constantly the wall that's preventing her from doing that then i think we can call the change that she recognizes by the end that she can't save him and she has to let him go um because i i think the real tragedy is that Cage and Sarah do love each other. What? Why did I? Ben and Sarah do love each other, <laughs> but even though Ben loves Sarah, he hates himself more. And I think that's kind of the 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 downfall of his character and of their relationship is that no matter what happens, no matter how their relationship evolves, he's always going to drink himself to death, regardless of what she does. And the, the film, I think, is sort of the progress of her realizing that. For me, for mm-hmm. me at least. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. I guess uh, we are just at an impasse here. Oh yeah, mm. definitely. I don't think terrible. Is, I don't think that is worthwhile or or impressive. The real, just, the real I'm protagonist. Just that. Yeah. The yeah. real protagonist is the alcohol. If you're a real nihilist, you say that the, that the alcohol is the protagonist. The alcohol changes more than the characters do. What do you? What? What are you uh, gonna say to that? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. What about the one guy who's like, Kathy, get the knife and the accent. Oh, Julian yeah. Sands, yeah. Latvian guy. Who really, I, I, I do kind pretty, of agree pretty, that his backstory yeah. doesn't, like, he doesn't need to be there. Totally flat. I like, I kind of thought that the, the Latvian criminals were going to come back at some point and yeah. somehow endanger Sarah, which I'm glad that they didn't, because I was worried this was going to turn into, like, whoop, Cage is drunk and he needs to drive his Cadillac and chase him yeah. down and save Sarah. I, I, I was worried that was going to be something I'd, like, forgotten about the climax or something like that. But no, I mean, admittedly, that's not what happens. It's just Julian Sands is in the first 20 minutes of the movie, and then he's not. I would I would say that um, there doesn't necessarily need to be an overarching progression, and I don't think necessarily uh, character dynamics have to be, like, there, there has to be, like, there has to be a, um, like, there has to be a constant change, or there has to be, like, instances of change that help you keep watching i feel like the attempts that they're making for each other to change each other in and of itself is a progression i feel like that 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 them attempting to progress the relationship and them attempting to do to do quote unquote right by each other even though that it's doomed from the start is in and of itself an interesting concept and i don't think I think we can disagree on like the the execution of the concept and whether or not it was actually effective, but I do think that that there is so- something to be said about how dynamic that can actually be, especially with alcohol being one of the being the tetragonist or the deuteragonist or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know words. <laughs> so, all right. Well, any other final thoughts at all before we move on to the weekend review? Sure. Any Nick Cage fan. I think should definitely see it. I think I think it's a very interesting character study. As, right next to Ghost Rider and Erasing Arizona. As, Four as out Nick, of five. As a Nick Cage fan, I agree. Mr. Yeah. Cage, if, if, if you're listening, I like this film. And I'm sorry fan. I didn't get to ask you a question at South by Southwest. Yes, I'm the Aww. one who sat down. I apologize. 
I liked your performance too, mostly, Mr. Cage. Which you're <laughs> and Arlie Ermey. That's my um, boy, Arlie Ermey, in there. Mm. This is just such a film student film, and you guys have given uh, like good English student-y answers about why you like it. <laughs> and if you were to write essays about why this is good, I would give you both A's. Dang. But I still don't think it's good. <laughs> I had Thank a bibliography and everything. And, <laughs> and I think that like the average non-cinephile would most likely feel the way I do. They would either feel miserable and not know why, or they would feel nothing. You're a cinephile now. Yeah, Sorry. I know. That's true. We converted you. <laughs> more, more than me, probably. Update your driver's license. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, my, my letterbox is ridiculous. I, I, need to, uh, yeah, I need to spend more time on, on real life. <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't know. Maybe Maybe this is a diamond in the rough. Maybe, gosh, maybe if there was a half hour with his wife and kid, where I got to know him as a person before he was just drunk and pathetic all the time. Maybe this would work perfectly for me. I don't know. But as it stands, I think it lacks conflict. It lacks change. It lacks basic things that I need to latch onto a story. So, sorry. 1.5. No, totally fair. Um, Okay, well, if that brings us to an end of our discussion on leaving Las Vegas, it's time to move on to the weekend review. This is a segment we added last season to discuss other things that we've been watching or uh, reading or really anything that we've done since we recorded the last episode. So, what have you been up to, guys? I I got a real bet. I know what you're going to talk about, Christian. My week in review is that I walked my dog, and it was fun. (laughs) No, uh, I have a real one. Um, Mitchell, you better take your diddly darn headphones off. Because I'm going to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ha! I want to bet with myself. Two I'm episodes. taking them off. Is he actually? Yes! yes do it! Yes, do yes, it! I'm going to talk about spoilers. Okay, good, My good, ears good. are out. Excellent, excellent. Um, so, the first two episodes dropped today. And yes, spoiler warning, I will be giving things away. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I wrote fairly long reviews for both of them in my letterbox, if you're interested. I would say that the first one is an appropriate pilot exposition-y episode with the right amount of surprises and just really, really good performances. Um, Ewan McGregor was probably meant to play Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think at this point, he's as integral to the character as Alec Innes, um, just with the the passage of time and what he does now. Um, a very pleasant surprise was uh, Jimmy Smith's involvement. Uh, he brings a lot of gravitas to Bail Organa. And but the standout I think so far in both of these episodes is this uh, child actor. I want to get her name right. Vivian Lyra Blair is cast to play a young Leia, and she is fantastic. She is so fiery and engaging. Uh, I said probably unfairly as cute as Jake Lloyd, but a better performer in my review. Um, she's just great. I, I feel like you could totally see Carrie Fisher in her, and her dialogues written well and delivered well and really the heart of the show is sort of her interactions with obi-wan and the other adults around her i'm a little bit concerned about the identity of the show moving forward um it there's definitely some passing similarity to the mandalorian just because of the whole like parent child dynamic but i i think the writing is sufficient I gave both of the first two episodes an 8 out of 10. I don't want to give too much away about what happens, but um, there's some nice uh, small little side performances from Benny Softy and Kumail Nanjiani, and Moses Ingram plays a sort of Kylo Renish Inquisitor, which is meeting with um, mixed reactions from fans, but I say give it time. I think she'll improve. And yeah, it's I am cautiously optimistic about the rest of it. I will say so far it is not disappointed, and aside from fans that were desperate to just see non-stop lightsaber action i think this is delivered on all the things that we want to see so far so mm-hmm. eight out of ten for the first two and i'm sure i'll keep talking about this as more episodes come out <laughs> so i'm curious christian um all three spinoff shows so far uh, if uh, if i'm correct i haven't watched these shows just to let our listeners know have been mostly set on desert planets if, if if i'm correct is is visual sameness becoming an issue for you at all I thought it would, but no. I should say the Mandalorian is uh, goes to quite a few different planets. Okay. Um, I would not say that Mandalorian is just desert, but Book of Boba Fett is certainly mostly Tatooine. Okay. Um, the second episode, I'm giving stuff away. The second episode of Obi Wan isn't on Tatooine at all. Okay. So. There's some variety here, and it's welcome. Okay. Right on. 
Um, well, I'm going to signal to Mitchell. You can you can come back. Um, <laughs> hey, Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, Aiden Christensen is really cool. Whatever. If you're not care. with me, then you're my, my enemy. enemy. <laughs> yeah. So said Patrick Starr. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about you, Mitchell? What have you been up to? <laughs> I don't know. Watch Barry Lyndon again. Barry Lyndon. Oh, okay. <laughs> My eyes hurt because of how amazing <laughs> this movie looks. And that sounds really bad, but it's just like, you're just like, ah. Oh. Like Stanley Kubrick probably waited like a whole freaking month just so the clouds looked exactly like that over the sun. Yeah. Like what? what is what is his freaking problem? What is his problem? Stop. Stop making these kinds of movies, okay? Five out of five. Anyway, um, the way the way that he positions him in the aristocracy and just how how much of a joke it feels like this entire like every single like major power is in the Seven Years War is so effective. And I mean, the immersion's just through the roof. Like you you totally they couldn't have he couldn't have made it more feel like it was during the Seven Years War and. I just the 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 dialogue and the narration mixes so well and makes you feel so convinced that wow this guy's like really making him you know you know he's putting himself up there like he's really you know it's working like him being such a terrible person and being so self-seeking and and it makes you really realize like man that like the only way to really get power is to do everything immoral <laughs> especially at this time and in this period and I think it works so effectively and seeing how he handles the power and everything is exactly the way you would expect and it's illustrated so beautifully and it just ends with a dud and you feel you feel you just you feel completely taken aback by how amazing the journey was and i really feel like it 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 deserves so much it it deserves so much praise just beyond the cinematography because I mean, I, I it, it, we can't even put into words how amazing it looks, and I've already talked to you guys a little bit about it, but mm-hmm. I highly, highly recommend it if you got three hours to spare, and if you're ready for for the for Stanley to come after every single boy with money and power and and in society. Um, I really enjoyed it. All right. Well, um, right before this is another right before we uh, recorded watch, but I watched uh, Fellini's The Swindlers. Um, known it's in its original Italian as Il Bodone. Um, this is another. Um, well, this is a, this is an early Fellini, so he hasn't quite taken on the the massive bombastic semi-experimental style that he's kind of known for. Um, it, it's basically a. It's it's essentially an Italian neorealist film in the spirit of something like Bicycle Thieves, um, but it's about these three con men uh, in post-war Italy after uh, World War Two. Um, essentially it's just about how they cheat the rich, but then mostly peasants. Um, they mostly, they go out to farms and they find ways to, to cheat these poor people who are starving and have no money out of what little money that they have, um, out of this attempt to ascend to the upper class, even though they're essentially a joke to all the people they know in the upper class. They're these people who think they have connections and think that they're, uh, you know, high rollers and people that other people respect, but really they're they're sort of social parasites, and that's kind of the only role they play. They don't fall in with the poor, they don't fall in the, with the rich. They're on this line in the middle, where they can't really call anybody their friends, and they're constantly suspect of themselves and even their families. And it's it's kind of about these three people dropping off one by one until you're left with this one guy left who's who's willing to continue that life as a con man and and how he suffers as a result so it's pretty simplistic it's a pretty simple little morality tale and as with a lot of italian neorealist films the plot is kind of the beginning and the end and the middle is mostly just a lot of people kind of walking around the bombed out remains of italy um you'll see them walk past like a whole block that'll just have been leveled by by shelling and bombs, and it's just matter of fact because that's what they do every day, um, because that's what they did every day in post-war Italy. That was just normal for them, um, and and that brings an interest of its own um, to the picture. I, I do think it might be a little bit too long. Uh, this is a restored cut. Uh, when it was first released, there were like twenty minutes cut out of it by the producer. Um, uh, against Fellini's wishes, this is the full film. I, I do think it might be a little bit too long. 
there might be a little bit too much natural wandering around in the middle. Um, but I, do, I think that that aids to the immersion to a certain degree, as is the point with all Italian neorealism. Uh, so three out of five, it's good. Um, it, I don't necessarily know that it's like vital Fellini. If you're a big Fellini fan or a Fellini completionist, definitely check it out. It's, it's good. Um, but if you're someone who's just looking for his, his greatest hits, uh, something like Satyricon or, or uh, other films by Hammer, definitely what you want to go, go for more. Um, now, at this time, we'd usually go on to Mitchell's Munitions Minute, but I don't think anybody was packing heat and leaving Las Vegas. Um, so I guess <laughs> Packing I'll... cold ones and dying. <laughs> so I guess I'll keep talking, um, and we'll move on to The Marvelous Cinema Tour. Um, Bizarre. Christian, are you crying? <laughs> oh, well, somebody said that the, so, the death. So oh, I, oh like, I see. Okay. I was miming a tear. Um, I thought you were crying at the fact show, that I was going to keep talking. <laughs> it's okay. Nicolas Cage is still alive. That would have been much funnier. I should have um, been. <laughs> so this time on the Marvelous Cinema Tour, I'm talking about Captain America, the first Avenger. And now I'm Mitchell really might seriously want me to stop I'm talking. I'm um, <laughs> now, now, first and foremost, I want to address, last time I mentioned that I had really no memory of this film, and I remember being kind of uh, underwhelmed by it when it came out, or when I saw it, uh, because my family and I rented it shortly after it first came out. Um, but upon watching this again, I really enjoyed it. Um, now, it, it, it does have pacing issues, specifically mm -hmm. around the beginning of the third act. Uh, first two acts, I was, I, was, I was pretty entertained. I mean, Joe Johnston brings a lot of really creative direction, to the film, uh, and there's a lot of touches visually that I don't think you would see in a million years from the MCU now, um, where they've mm -hmm. kind of ironed everything out creatively so you know exactly what an MCU movie is going to look like most of the time. Iron. Um, Man. <laughs> Just you wait for the weird world. I, I'm getting to the weird world this summer, so thank the heavens. Um, uh, but it has this sort of serial, like um, The Rocketeer, which is another Joe Johnston film, or Raiders of the Lost Ark flavor to it. Uh, not as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark, of course, but it, it's clear yeah. that that's an inspiration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But beginning of the third act, everything just slows right down. And around the time Cap is drinking in the bar, talking about how he can't get drunk, I was thinking, boy, Man, I'm hungry. Like, <laughs> when's this movie going to be over? Um, but he was half naked, Zach. Now, it, it picks up again by the conclusion, there by the go. climax in the third yeah. act. Mm -hmm. But it still loses me a bit during that portion. Um, and I, I think, thinking back on it, there are bits and pieces where, I mean, I feel like they foreshadow the Captain America shield like five times before it actually shows up. <laughs> When realistically, we probably only needed one. Like, this was close to being a four, but the more and more I think about it, there are holes and script issues that lead it to more being a three. Uh, but still, perfectly, like, middle of my of my MCU rankings so far. I'm glad, I'm glad. I like glad. the Iron Man films more, um, uh -huh. including the second. Second is still top of my MCU list. Cool. Um, but this is definitely better than Thor, uh, definitely better than The Incredible Hulk, um it's 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 fun uh next up for me is the avengers um which i, I oh my gosh i can't I, believe it already interesting <laughs> yeah it's it's it goes quicker than i remembered like it, yeah. i forgot that it's it was because the like... hype would take up all years like people would be like <laughs> captain america woo! um nobody cares anymore but i this is one that i'm kind of dreading even though i remember enjoying this back when it came out in 2012 and i remember everybody quoting it and going to see it in the theater and saying, you got to see the Avengers. You haven't seen the Avengers yet. Um, and, and of course this was in, this was in Britain where it was referred to as Avengers assemble. But um, I mean, there were, there were lines <laughs> round the block, literally like we'd go into town to like wow. get something from the shops and to be like, there's the Avengers line. Um, Holy cow. But it, I'm, I'm worried. Because in hindsight, I feel like this is where the MCU quippiness, nothing can be taken seriously, and therefore there isn't much threat, kind of thread starts, and so that, that worries me. But uh, next time, I'll update you guys and tell you what I thought of the Avengers. Hi. Who boy. So, now we go on to... I have to keep talking. Uh, we go on to our longest-running segment, The Rundown. 
down. Yeah, boo 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 boo. The theme tune's a little slow today. Yeah. So here we go. Just we're gonna lean into the rundown. Don't we're gonna kick the rundown. Lean into, lean into it. it for a minute, and then we're gonna die, just like you expected. Who's who's starting? Ah, uh, who's gonna start? Uh, Zach, you're starting. Okay. Okay. In three, two, one, go. Julian Lennon cameo. Three to five. Angel Eyes by Sting. Three to five. Prickly Pals. Four to five. The whole year in. Four to five. The whole year in. Five to five. Hello, Julian Sands. Four to five. <laughs> Goodbye, Julian Sands. Three to five. My One and Only Love by Sting. Three to five. An Angry Game of Blackjack. Three to five. Having Dinner. Three to five. Filming on the Strip. Three to five. Two hundred and fifty dollars. Three to five. Five hundred dollars. Four to five. Mike Figgis's direction. Four to five. Mike Figgis writing. Three to five. Mike Figgis score. Three to five. Whoops. Four to five. <laughs> Romanticizing enabling alcoholism. Three to five. Elizabeth Shue as Sarah. Four to five. Elevator music that's thought to have thematic consequence. Four to five. <laughs> Five seconds. I really need to make these lists longer. We are so fast. I, I need to contribute more. I think is the problem. Yeah. Well, Mitchell's yeah, I, just. Uh, I'm on. Uh, yeah. Gra, gra, gra. I, I didn't mention. Uh, to I'm the packing my own least. Uh, Julian Lennon is in this movie for one yeah. scene as a, as a bartender. Um, yep. And then Arlie Ermey. I'm. I'm. I didn't even spot Arlie Ermey. If I'm honest. Um, what I have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I do wonder uh, if he like knew Mike Figgis or something, but yeah, unusual. Okay, next time, uh, Mitchell, you are hosting. So, do you want to preview what we bought, what we will be watching? Yeah, it's just it's ten Cloverfield Lane. It's no big deal. <laughs> Apparently, to a lot of people, it was a big deal. They're like Cloverfield, what? I don't know. I like J.J. Abrams' production and Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Goodman. And apparently, you know, we're going to see. We're going to see. I haven't seen it since it, like, came out, and I don't remember feeling very much from it. But, you know, Cloverfield movies are very interesting, and I think it'll be a good good time to critique it. And, um, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I like all three of the things you said. So, yep. The sequel. Uh, but anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, if you'd like to hear us talk about 10 Cloverfield Lane and, and possibly also Cloverfield and the Cloverfield Paradox by proxy, um, mm-hmm. tune in next time to Cookie Pocket. Uh, until then, au revoir.